I'd like to try to say a few words, Divrei Hesped, on the great tzaddik and godl, Moiri Verabi, Hagoyen Ramey Hershkowitz, Zechat Tzaddik, Mikodesh When I stand before you to do this, you have to know that it's very, very difficult for me, and it's a little bit of a pahat to be able to do that. Because when you say a hesped on someone great and you're not able to truly bring out the godless greatness of the person, sometimes you're giving divrei hesped is actually being a chesorin in the covenant because you're making him smaller than he actually is. And to truly understand a man of this magnitude who is mamish, Hashem, you have to be able to be toifus, the godless, to be able to give a hesped on him. However, however, one thing I learned from Ramea Hershkowitz was that a Rebbe is not only a person that you learn Torah from, but you get a Der Halimut from. The way he saw his own Rebbe was that he saw that his Rebbe and every single Anhoga of his Rebbe, every single inch of his Rebbe's life was in itself Torah was in itself a derech and avoida. It was in itself something that needed to be studied and to be learned for his entire life. He was still learning from his Rebbe Rabbah. So a Talmud must study not only his Rebbe's Torah, he has to study his Rebbe himself. And that's his Chiyuv as his Talmud, that's how he grows. So today I'm standing as a Talmud, I can't say that I have a right to call this a Divrei Hesbid, but I say that I have a responsibility to study the great man that I had as a Chut, to have a Shaykhis with him for 30 years, and there's so much to talk about. There's so much to think about. There's so much to learn about. And I don't have that much time to arrange my thoughts. But I do want to share with you some points that I feel we can all gain from and grow from. I remember once, he actually said this point. He's telling me a story of Rabarim about an individual that unfortunately went through the tragedies of the Holocaust and he suffered such tremendous trauma. He saw the death of his family in front of his eyes and the tremendous pain and suffering caused him to go into deep depression. The man became so depressed 
that he was not able to speak. And Rabban felt bad for this person and he wanted to draw him out of the depression. But he wouldn't talk to anybody. He wouldn't converse. He wasn't able to get him to let things off his chest, so to speak. So Rabban sat down with this guy and he started to play chess with him. Play chess. The chess, you don't have to speak. And the person liked to play chess. He was a smart guy. He used his head. And slowly, slowly, he was able to reach him and open him up. And then eventually he got him to talk. And then after he got him to open up and talk, slowly, slowly he nurtured him back to life. Eventually he got remarried, came, went back into learning, saved the guy's life. Saved the man's life by taking time from his learning, Rabban's learning, Rabban's teaching, Rabban's involvement in Torah, and he sat and played chess with this individual. So he told me the story, and he said, after he said the story, he said, the Rebbe was, Rabban was, and the more you got close to him, the more you realized that he lived the Torah he taught. He didn't just say shmuzin and concepts and inyonim. He lived them. He lived the Torah that he, that he learned, that he taught. And the more he studied him and the more he became close to him, the more he was able to see that. So it's like studying the Torah itself. And that was clearly Rav Meir's life. Rav Meir's life was living in all the maizim of Rabban Katla. I want to talk about one facet for a minute, and we'll see if we get to other things. I want to talk about the world of Yerushalayim. The world of Yerushalayim, that Rameh Hershkowitz was a Yerushalayim, but he saw by his Rebbe Yerushalayim. And that was like the guiding light for him in Avoidus Yerushalayim. Actually, he once told me, Ramea, that when 1951, when he went to learn by Rabbaran, El 1951, Tafshin Yud Aleph. He used to always say Tafshin Yud Aleph. And people would ask him, what is that? And he would do the math and it would come out to 1951. But for some reason, he didn't remember the, the English year. Only Tafshin Yud Aleph. He only spoke in the Hebrew. So he said he went to learn Barbar. And when he first went there, he only intended to go there for a year and he was going to go to college afterwards. And not only was he going to go to college, his parents wanted him to go to college. But then something clicked in his head. After one L by Barbar, and he changed the course of his life because of that one event. And he had to fight to stay there and he became who he became because of that. What, what was it? What did he see in Rabban in one L that made him want to change his whole way of life? So you by yourself might have thought that maybe he's so genius, so genius, he's so amelus, 
saw something, right? This is what he said he saw. He said, I never in my life saw a human being who had Amos Haddin on Rosh Hashanah like Rabbanon. When Rabbanon got up to speak before the Tekiyas, he was so overwhelmed with emotion and Pachat and Amos Haddin that he couldn't even get the words out. He was crying his eyes out. His dad never saw a human being like that. And he understood that it's Rabbanon's Amelus V'Egir Batayra that can develop a human being like that. And that's what got him. He decided that that's the life he wants to dedicate himself to. So it was the year of Shemayim by Rabbanon that he saw that really talked to him, spoke to him. He used to say over a story about Rabbanon that one time Rabbanon went fundraising and all of a sudden he was missing in action. They don't know where he is. And then they found him on the side somewhere crying his eyes out. What happened? Crying his eyes out. Rabbanon said he was standing in front of the elevator and when it opened for a split second he saw a woman that was not Siniyut. Split second. And he felt that if he was himself holding in levels of Yerushalayim and Shmir Sanayim that HaKadosh Baruch Hu never did that to him. So he was born that that was the cause of what Hashem was doing to him. And he immediately went into an avoider of tshuva and to build himself in Yerushalayim. And Yerushim used to say that Rabbanon's trying to bring out the oymik in the darga of Rabbanon understanding the communication that Hashem has with him. He once said over to me that something happened to Rabbanon. He didn't say what it was. But he said that Rabbanon was born that the reason why this happened to him is because when he was arguing with some soifa in his shir, he argued with a sharfkite that wasn't kifi, the covets of the chasam soifa, so he got this. Happened to him. Ramea had a maister where one time he was stuck on the side of the highway, he had a flat, and he was there for a while, long while, until somebody finally found him and helped him. And he said, I think that the reason why this happened to me is because the week before a Rebbe from the yeshiva and his family got stuck on the side of the road with a snowstorm and I feel that perhaps I wasn't mishtatev b'tayron enough and therefore this has to happen to me but he said I think but Rabbanon knew when the Abishter was talking to him what he wanted from him. So what was he saying? 
He's saying is, that if a person so much wants to serve Hashem properly, he so much wants to know the Ratz and Hashem, his whole life is bent on that, then he is Zoyche to the Madrega, that he understands the communication. And he felt that he hasn't come close to what the Rebaran's Madrega, he could only say he thinks. It's like trying to discern the difference between Malach Gavriel and Malach Mechoel, you know? Two Malachim. It's an amazing thing. How we would talk about Rebaran and how he didn't come to that darga yet. How he would talk about Rebaran's Yerushalayim wanted him to reach every ounce of Shlemus which is possible for a human being. So he said over that Rabbanon after the Chazanish passed away that the Chazanish reached a darga of Lima Teirel that Rabbanon said that because he had a yeshiva Rabbanon himself had a yeshiva and the Chazanish didn't have a yeshiva so Rabbanon was mourning himself that he never reached the darga of Lishmoh from the Chazanish and Ramea tells me I'm trying to figure out where there was a chesorin in Shaloy Lashmon Rabaran with Lakewood. And he says, Rabaran's Dargan Havonin Tifkait in the Oymik of Lashmon. He saw Episapagal. He was trying to figure that out. You understand what we're talking about over here? Men with tremendous Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim doesn't just mean Stam Pacha. Yerushalayim is a driving force between better, stronger, starker Avoida. One time Ramea told me, he said, a person must always have a Shmira Maula Kenega the Yetzar. Never, ever Deviate your attention from him. Constant Shmira Mula. What did he tell me this Maisa to? As a response, we were in a house, we were there for Shabbat, we put him up in a house and deal for Shabbat so we can make fundraising. And the host, Syrian guy, told the Rosh Hashiva in our Syrian way of speaking English, Rabbi, you're good? Meaning to say, are you fine? Do you have everything you need? And the Roshiva said, I can never testify on myself that I'm good. It's not something that you can testify on yourself. You always have to be not 100% confident that you're good. And you always have to be careful. And then when the guy left, he went further with it. That's when he told me that. Shmira Mahula. And Ibi talking at me. The HR is always creeping up and coming in. And even when you do things that you think are 100% that you think they're 100% good, maybe the HR is involved. And then he said the story with Rabaran. He said the story with Rabaran that he said if you knew Rabaran, Rabaran was a tremendous Zariz. And stop moving. 
And one day, he felt he just was going to pass out. And his wife told him, why don't you take a nap for a couple of minutes, and then get back to what you have to do. So he goes into the room, lies down, goes into the room to go to sleep, and then his wife notices, she looks through the crack in the door, and she sees that he's sitting on the bed. So she says, why don't you take a nap? He says he's making Cheshben HaNefesh. Cheshben HaNefesh that maybe it's Atzlus. You understand? So he's saying, you see, Rabban Kotlin never trusted himself. He has to first make a Cheshben HaNefesh to make sure it's not Atzlus. And that's the way he conducted his life. Trying to learn from his Rebbe how to constantly be on guard for the Yetzirah. He once told me that before Rebaran got up to speak, you know, usually when you give a speech, you want to try to make a good presentation. He's getting up for a reason. He wants to deliver his message. He wants the people to listen. And he said, Rebaran used to mumble to himself before he went up to give the speech. Call me Shiesh Boyira Shabayim. The Gemara says, if you want to have an impact on people, then the more Yerushalayim you are, the more the point will penetrate. It's not about the presentation, it's about the Yerushalayim. And therefore, Rabbanon in his preparation for his speech is more about Yerushalayim. He told me something, an unbelievable thing, in this point of Yerushalayim. The point of Yerushalayim that a person has to realize that he can't be soymech on himself. Human being has a lot of negis. Human being has atzlus. So he said that Rabarin was running Klai, so he's genius. Master, genius, manhigador. And he said that Rabban used to discuss things over with a bocher in yeshiva who he felt had a very straight head. This bocher is Rabbi Yitzchak Fegelstach. But he spoke to him when he was a bocher because he held that he was a pikeach. He used to call him the Peleyoyitz. Not that he listened to him every time. He told me Meissen, which I cannot repeat on public. Because I had to do with a lot of politics and different things. So we're not going to talk about that live. Or ever. I don't know if he lets me say it often. <laughs> but not that he always listened to what he had to say. But he always talked it out. Always. Because that's the, the, the fine... And I'll try to masbinus that fine line between confidence and Yerushalayim. Between confidence and Anova. He tried to show me that balance a lot, and he had that in his life. Tremendous balance. Between that confidence, keep us adas, 
and the balance between the Yerushalayim that someone can make a mistake, which is connected with Anova, and he had that balance, he himself, you should know, he was the most humble guy in the world, everyone knows. But it taught us, if you get to know him, that that humility doesn't mean that you don't have a certain clarity and you're not afraid to execute and do what you need to do in Avodah Hashem. It's not a stiva. He told me, I'm not going to go also into a lot of what he said because I can't, but he told me that when he was hired as a Rosh Hashiva in Stanford Yeshiva to be the the top share. Now we're talking about from a person who is the highest Madriga from an office. I want you to try to understand this. He's hired to give the top share in Stanford. He was only masking with the condition that he has a shutfus in the yeshiva. Why? Does he need shutfus for? Because he wants to have a deir in the chinuch. He says, I don't have to be the only deir, but I have to have a deir in the chinuch because if I'm building the bocher, it's not just teaching him in the learning, I have to have a deir in the, in, in the, in the chinuch. Just watch the way he thinks. Because most people wouldn't think that Onav even thinks like this. I explained the reality of how things work. Is no matter how much the people you work with are machshavu, but if you're not a shutif, you don't have a daya. Okay, that's a shmuz. But that's what he said. He wants to have a daya in the chinuch of the kids. And later on, there was other situations where people wanted to get involved in the Moisid in higher positions in Hanhala. And because he didn't feel that their day in the Chinuch was kifi his liking, in his way of doing things, in the most Bakovidic and strategies, he did not let them have a day. So he's a takif. He knows what Chinuch is. He knows what he wants. He knows what's needed. And he's sharp as a whip. Sharp as a whip. But at the same time, he tells me, I will not sit in the fahir with the kid myself. I'm going to bring in Ramachol Bender because I can't be saying on my own das because people make mistakes. So the balance. You see the balance in the tkifus hadas with the reality that people can make mistakes. And therefore, you need to have someone to talk it out with. Obviously, someone that you think is a bardas. Obviously, someone that you think is a glatemensch. But, not the kol yochol. No matter how smart I am. And no matter how clear I am. And no matter how much I have to put my foot down. To make the chinuch. Chinuch is, can't play with chinuch. But that balance. He told me once about Rebaran. Rebaran in learning, if you try to fight with him in learning, it was a fire. That means what he believed. What he believed in learning. He was willing to go, 
שישים גיבורים סביב לנו גבול ישראל, כולם אחוזי חרב, מלומדי מוחמץ, מוחמץ של תרא. מוחמץ של תרא with a faint heart. He was very into Mulchamta Shaltaya. But he told me that Rabban with the whole Milchama from Taya and the whole Kifas still at the same time never let go from the possibility that it is wrong. That's the balance of great people. Able to have that balance between understanding that das and seichel and hashkofa things need to have it keep us a das too. It's not a stereo. But at the same time, the most unbelievable level of humility at the same time. He was a goyin, a master at hiding himself. It was not shaykh. He was a goyin and a master at that. He had a way Everybody knows that he's close to Rabban. You understand? Rabban held of him very, very much. But you wouldn't know that from him. Like small things he said, very agav, you can figure out certain things. I was once sitting with him in a house. And somebody asked him if he knows Kachim. I don't know why they asked about Kachim. So he said that when he got married... His chevra, after he got married, his chevra wanted to learn kachim. He had a chabur, he had his oilam. I guess they were by Rebbein for a lot of years learning Noshim Ezekiel. And I wanted to learn kachim. And then he said, the Rebbein came over to him and he said, I want you to stay with me in the Noshim Ezekiel. Because I want you to give chaburs to the light. He used to give chaburs to the big guns. The Roshivas of Lakewood today used to go to his chaburs Friday night. He wanted him to stay with him. To develop him. That he should develop his skills in Nash Mazik. And he had his eye on him to become a great Rosh Hashiva. He told me an unbelievable thing. He said, Rabbi never used to go to a bocher and ask him if he wants a shidduch. Meaning, if a guy was learning shtar, was learning strong, Rabbi held it was wrong to put into his head to go into shidduch. If the guy himself already was feeling the urge to get married and he's starting to get a little Masiach Dash from learning, then he would go to Rabban and Rabban will help him get married. He said, Rameya said that Rabban made an exception to the rule. He came to him and brought up Shadduchim to him and he asked the Mechila for bringing Shadduchim to him. And he said, the reason why I'm bringing you this Shidduch is because this Shidduch is going to keep you in learning and it's going to give you an opportunity to have later on to stay in the position of teaching Torah and because it's going to make you stronger in learning that's why I have a right to ask you to go into the Shaduchim means he, he wanted him to have that career and he went out of his normal way Agav he told me that when Rabbi came to him he says listen May was very skinny didn't eat a lot he told me once, Rabban told him to eat herring because you can eat, it tastes good and you don't have to mevat the tire. So you eat herring, it'll, it'll go in there, you know? So he wanted him to be healthier. So he told him, but I got it, you, you have to go to the doctor and get a physical. So I should be able to tell the mishpocha that Hagam, you look like you're malnourished, you're 100% healthy. So this is what he told him. And another time, Rabban told me, like it was like also very agav, 
when we were talking about Rabbanan and learning, he said that Rabbanan's shear was very sharp. A lot of times, he said, but he had a special, like, VIP Chabura, which I don't know, I never heard of this in my life. Maybe even Pez father knows about this. I don't know, Lakewooders maybe know about this. But uh, he said he had a small Chabura of guys that he would teach them the Halacha Lemaisa. They would go to the Shokhanor with the but Mamash the Halacha Maisa had to come out psak in the in the Shokhanor on the Sugyas. And he said over there he would go with the Masurian psak, even though in the Shir maybe he was arguing. So you give him the Derech Halimud and had a Pasch in Halacha Lemaisa. Never heard of such a thing, but that's what he said to me. So you see that he was very close to him. He held him. He held him as one of his biggest Talmidim. My, 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 uh, Consuegro, who learned by Rebellious Sve, told me Rebellious told him that Ramey was from the biggest Talmidim in Rabban. It was very close to him. Very close to him. However, if you pay good attention, you hang out with Ramey long enough, and you're paying attention, and he's constantly saying Maises and Zachin, you cannot, cannot tell that he was close to him. He makes it like he wasn't even there by the Maise. Like he heard the Maise from somebody, he read it in the book. He used to say over Rabban and the Shea, he didn't say, Chogehelsum Roshashiv and Shea. It's a shtick in Mishnah Shabbara. I mean, I could see it, you could see it, we all saw it from the same place. These are subtle things. But usually if the guy's close to the Goyen and the Tzadik and the Godlador, everybody should know about it. It's important, you know? He let, you know, he let you know. But, but, but he was such a honor and such a truthful person that he cannot give you even an inkling of a thought that maybe he had more experience than he did. If he heard the Maisa from someone else, he will say, I heard the Maisa from someone else. Even though he could just say the mice and it would sound like he's there. Wouldn't do that. Very, very careful. I remember once we brought him to deal, first time. We brought him to deal to make money for the yeshiva. So we basically used to do like a weekend. We used to bring him. He said a share in the yeshiva. He spent like shalashudas with the Friday night we ate with him. We had different things. Some years we did that. He actually stayed with the yeshiva. Some years we had him eating out by Balabatim. But he was involved there. And one of the things we used to do was bring him to the early Minyan Park Avenue. Rabbi Diamond would, you know, talk over there. And I remember him in the beginning, and then Rabbi Diamond got used to that. But he begged, he was begging like a child, please do not speak anything about me. Talk about the yeshiva. Nothing to do with me. He didn't want covered for nothing. That was like thing that he was scared of. I remember once Chaim Hirschman, Rabbi Chaim, the son, told me in the old, in the, the, when Rabbi Simcha was alive, so that Oilum used to dance Rabbi Simcha home after the Hakafis on some hot Torah. Rabbi used to sneak out. Sometimes the Bokram used to come. He said, no, 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 you have to give cover to Rabbi Simcha. Like he would send them to Rabbi Simcha. And they would dance Rabbi Simcha to his house and he would sneak out and go home. After Rabbi Simcha was lifted, so the Oilum started to dance him. No Rabbi Simcha. He says, you don't understand the pain that my father went through have Oilam in the streets of Lakewood giving him COVID, like dancing around the Rashiva, the pain that he went through, that that was mysterious nefesh for the Oilam. 
for the yeshiva. He said, COVID by him was like, forget about it. I remember one time I brought him, uh, there was a rabbi, his name was Rabbi Feinroth. He used to work by Rabbi Diamond. So he had like a, a chabura. And after the first year of his chabura, he decided he wants to make like a kuntras. Where all the chaburas that the younger light said that they should type him up, write him up, and put it into the thing. I think he called it Milchas Bikur. That was his, his thing. So he asked me to go to Ramea and get a Mikhtav Bracha for Ramea. So I went to Ramea for him and he, he didn't want to write it. I said, you know what? I'll write a Nusuch. And then you'll fix it up. Like this, you don't have to have the whole thing and you'll work around the Nusuch. So he said, okay. So I wrote the Nusuch and he was mamish like medaktik but every mila that has to be 100% La Mita, like for example, I said in the, in the Nusach, my original Nusach, I said that writing gives clarity and learning. Nisenes Behirus Belimud. So he said, no, it's not magic. Misayea. Like every word, you know? So one of the things I wrote in over there was that. The Rosh Hashiva is acquainted with the oil and deal. Why? Because many times he came, he spent Shabbat with us, he gave uh, a shir, chaburas, whatever it is. You know the guy, and we also went to visit him, right? Because I used to take guys to Stanford, uh, bring them to Simchat Torah, to Lakewood, to be with him. I constantly brought people to him. So I said he came to us, and we went to him. And then he said, take that out. That we went to him. He didn't say why. But I'm assuming that he said, take them out. Because he didn't come to me. He didn't want to come to me. I go to you. Come to me now. Like, they're very, very, very careful. In any, taking any respect. And he knew how to do it in such an unbelievable way. I remember one time. This is Kaseda. How people used to come to ask him, Eitzes. He, was, he would give the eights, but he would make himself first sound like he's not sure. Maybe you could say it like this. I once sent a couple to him. Very difficult Shiloh. Very difficult Shiloh. And I don't remember what the Shiloh was, but I just know that it was difficult. And they first spoke to me, and I said, I think, maybe like this. I gave like an opinion. I said, but I can't uh, pass in a Shiloh like this. You've got to go see Rebbeah. So I went to, I got them an appointment. I asked Rebbeah, and he took them in. Maisie spoke to them for two hours. And he kept on saying to them, like he's not sure, you have to ask a mumche, he's not a mumche. But he was going through the stud and clarifying, you know, working the sugi out with them. And then he said, so what did Yaakov Harari say? So they told him what I said. And he said, he's right. He's, like he, like he, he didn't make, like, like he put it on someone else. Like that guy knows what he's talking about. And, but at the end of the day, they walked out with clarity. They knew what to do. He told them what to do, but he told them what to do in a way that, like, it doesn't look like he knows what to do. You know? Yeah, mumche, maybe you should check it by a mumche. Oh, he said, yeah, it makes sense what he's saying. The guy came back to me after. He says, I, like, Bashas Mice, I thought, like, I'm not going to come out of here clear. And then I walked out of the door and I saw that it was clear as anything. He said what he wanted to say. So he had a way to give over what he had to give without trying to take respect. But if he had to say what he had to say, 
that he said it. There were certain things which I don't want to talk about, certain asifas and certain things in Yisrael, certain different different things that came up, which I was involved to talk to him about, and he was not afraid to do what he had to be clear, was clear, not afraid, but where he didn't have to. If he was able to be mastered, he was mastered. Tremendous. He had also, I mean, we could go on and on, I don't know, it's running a little late, I'm going to say one, one point or two, but there's really a lot, a lot to talk about. He said he had a tremendous ava for people, for Klal Yisrael. Tremendous. Tremendous ava for people. I used to give him names. People give him names, you know, for, for we used to have him like a, a Kabbalat Kahal, when we had an open thing, you know, for people to come in and, and, and see him. So, you know, people come in, they give names for, for, for health, for refuah, for different things. And every person, he would write down their names, he would write down their names. Okay, maybe he's just writing down the names to be nice, you know. I gave him a name. A few days later, he called me back and he wanted to know how that person's doing. So he, he would take that seriously, right? And one time, I was with him in a house where he didn't really know the people that we went to, but they were related to someone from Yeshiva. And the guy from Yeshiva gave a name of these people's daughter that was sick. So he asked them, how's your daughter? And they said, Baruch Hashem, she's doing much better, she's out of the hospital. And all of a sudden he was in such simcha. And he went running to his wife. And he said, Plainus Bas Plainus, this girl, the daughter of this woman, she came out of the hospital. And it was like a whole simple. I mean, his wife was involved in this too. Tremendous. You know, he's not, he's not going to fake you. He's taking your name down, it's for real. What he does is for real. He cares about you, that's for real. Unbelievable. He had unbelievable COVID and sensitivity to people's feelings. You know, we took him on these fundraising trips. So the way we used to do it, he didn't know about it, but the way we used to do it was that somebody wanted to have him in his house, we used to say, you got to pay X amount of dollars. You understand? We're here for business, not for pleasure. So a certain individual wanted to make a Malaba Malk in his house for him. We put a nice price tag on it. And he paid it. And he had him for Malaba Malka. The next year, the person was doing not good in business. He invited us again from Malav Malcolm, but he said, I can't pay nothing. I'm not sending him to this guy, you know. <laughs> We're here for money. So it came up in the dorm, like, we, well, the schedule, and he asked him, like, my height. He said, you know, he's not doing so good this year, and whatever. So what? Uh, he had us from Malav Malcolm last year. And I was from Malav Malcolm this year. It's not, it's bad enough the guy lost his money. Now he has to also lose everything in his life. The one thing is still, you know, when you lose your money, you lose that whole status. You lose that whole status. That's not an easy thing to lose. At least the whole world has to also know that he lost his money because he doesn't get the rabbis no more. And he went, and he went to his house. And we had the Omalaba Mountain, and it was a loss of money for us, and time. But that didn't, that money wasn't a thing like. Money is like the Abishta. That has nothing to do with him. He told me a Misa, I think it was that year he told me a Misa, the Misa with Rabaran, that they, they made like a crazy connection somewhere, 
that they, could, they thought they could make a lot of money. And they flew her by an out, and it was a whole thing. And he finally got the meeting with this person that was supposed to give him money. He used a lot of connections. And he went into this meeting, walked out. He doesn't remember if he got no money or he got very little money. Basically, the meeting was a bust. And he sort of bound afterwards in the hotel where they were staying. He was pacing back and forth. And he was like very upset. So one of the Askanim there thought that Rabban was upset because they didn't make money. So he tried to console him. Rabban says, what, do you think I care about the money? The money comes from the Amishter. I feel bad for the guy. He had an opportunity to support Terry Lishmon. He let it slip between his fingers. He was pushing, busting up for another Jew. Another Jew had an opportunity. He lost it. What's that to do with the money? He didn't care about the money. I saw that all the time. Never, like the money didn't flinch. Once had it, there was a balabas in the Benzenhurst that used to give him a nice matbeya. She was a balabas. And when he used to come, when her used to come, like they used to give the tip off the base of Talmud. And the other from base of Talmud used to come hot and learning with him and this balabas like that. And they would hang with him and then he would give him a nice check. So we took him there one year and we were in a bad, bad situation then. Stanford for a living was in a bad situation. But that year was a bad situation. So now, I try to push him, the guy, to give more money. He says, i got to tell you the truth. This year is no good. I can't even give you what I give you. I give you a few thousand dollars, but that's it. Okay, so then we, we, we left over there. They were, I think they were learning to get vomits there in Basel Talmud at the time. So I mentioned to the Rashiva that, uh, you know, we didn't do so good over here. We spent an hour and change here. He was like, what do you mean? I was handling with the oil and the vomits, like, you know. <laughs> he would do that for free. So, you know, money was not the thing by him. The money is nothing to him. It's the only thing that gave him happiness, the only thing that gave him sipuk is doing the Ratz and Hashem, getting, uh, uh, talking and learning, once we called him, he was sick in bed. And he couldn't move. And he said, ah, okay, talk to me and learning to make me feel a little better, you know. That, that, that's what made him feel better. He's talking and learning. That was his life. Unbelievable. Kovid Adam, Kovid Abriz, Avas Abriz, Anova, Yerushamayim. Medafesh Oisred and Vegenzayim's about his Amkis. Medafesh Oisred. Everybody knows that. The Amkis that he had in learning was not normal. Not normal. But you know what that means. The Amkis that he has in learning, who revealed that Amkis in learning? The Ebishter. Hashem revealed that Amkis in learning to him. He was Zeichet to Saitis because he was so close to the Ebishter. Because he was killing himself to learn. Because he was killing himself to learn to know the will of Hashem. And if he wanted to know the will of Hashem, Hashem Megalit him, this is just a small tip of the iceberg of what this person was. And we all have to think about it and try to take something. Can't become an Adam Gadol, but we can make a Haskola of having Mochashivas for Torah, Mochashivas for Yerushamayim, Mochashivas for humility, Mochashivas for Ben Adam Lechaver. And then, Bez Hashem, we should grow from this.